So Lord, pray that you would help us to understand that scripture and apply it to our lives and the words I'm going to speak and the thoughts we're, we're going to think in these next few minutes. Help us to follow you more closely. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. Great to have you with us, as well as all of you. Uh, I recently heard a man tell me a story about how he was, a while back, he was noticing that he was gaining weight. So he signed up at a gym and got a trainer to help him get into better shape. And this trainer, she was just super tough. She just worked him really hard every day, but he was proud of himself for doing all the workouts. Well, one morning, about, after about a month of all of these workouts, she was just working him to death. And, and in the middle of it all, something suddenly dawned on him, and he stopped, and he said, Oh, no, we didn't take the before pictures. You know, like in the magazine, the before and after pictures, we didn't take the before pictures. This is a terrible waste. And she looked at him, and she said, Oh, don't worry, we still can. <laughs> Ouch, yeah, that one hurts, right? And he realized it was going to cost him a lot more effort, a lot more work to lose that weight. And that's sort of a little bit what the sermon is about today, that there is a cost to following Jesus. Now, there's some amazing benefits as well, and I'll talk about those too, but truth in advertising, following Jesus will make your life harder, at least sometimes. Now, this is a topic that pastors, myself included, we don't often talk about because we want to keep you coming to church and talking about the cost of following Jesus is bad for business, or so we think. But I know that you are a congregation that can handle this topic because so many of you are paying those costs. You're serving, you're giving, you're forgiving those who have hurt you, all of which is costly because you are a congregation that knows that a faith that costs nothing, risks nothing, asks nothing, yields nothing. We're doing a sermon series on the Apostle Peter, and in the story we read today, Peter is not the main character. Jesus and the rich young ruler are the main characters, but Peter acts as sort of the color commentator on the whole scene, saying the things that maybe we're thinking, but that we don't always voice. And he watches Jesus' encounter with this person who's described as the rich young ruler. And let's add good-looking while we're at it. Just make him the perfect person, right? Because they always seem to go together. And so this rich, young, good-looking Belvutian or Issaquater or Redmontonian or whatever he was says to Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what you need to know is eternal life in the Bible never means just getting to heaven after I die. It's much more. It means living the eternal kind of life now, free from fear, free from self, and free for a life of adventure, meaning, purpose, joy, and closeness to God. So he's basically saying, Jesus, I've got everything the world has to offer. I've kept all the commandments, but something is still missing. What do I do? I, 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 I'm ready to open up a spiritual app on my smartphone. How do I do that? Now, at this point, had I been Jesus... I would have wanted to comfort this troubled, good-looking, wealthy Belvutian or Issaquater or whatever he was. Oh, good for you. You're on the right path. Well done. You know, you want to come to my church? But no. No, no, not Jesus. No, no, no. In a shocking display, in my opinion, of very poor timing and a lack of finesse when it comes to closing the sale, Jesus just blasts him with the cost. Go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What? This is no way to close the deal. There's no what would it take to get you in a relationship with me today kind of language going on, right? Just blast them with the cost. 
And then the man goes away sad because he had many possessions that were possessing him. At which point, Peter has had enough. So he just blurts out, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? A.K.A. what's in it for me, Jesus? What about me? What about my needs? Do you ever think about me for a change, Jesus? What's in it for me? And this is what I love about Peter, right? There's no filter. If the thought occurs, it must be spoken, right? (laughs) It's just like my wife. She does the same thing. It's fantastic, right? (laughs) And you can kind of see the other disciples going, Peter, Peter, that was your outside voice. (laughs) But one of the things I love about Jesus is he loves Peter like he loves you and me. And so he answers the question. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. And in the gospel of Mark's version of this story, he adds in this life and will inherit eternal life in the age to come. In other words, there are some huge costs to following Jesus, but also amazing benefits. So let me just quickly talk about a few of those costs, not all of them, but just a few of those costs, but also some of the corresponding benefits to following Jesus. Because let's be honest, we're all asking Peter's question, what's in it for me? I mean, yeah, we shouldn't, we should just follow and all of that, yeah, but we're asking what's in it for me. And don't be, no, don't be giving me that look, yes, you are. You know you are. You do. And this isn't a mechanistic thing, right? It's, it, it's just as we pay these costs, there are in some inherent benefits, and they go together. They go with the costs. The first thing following Jesus might cost us is what it would have cost this rich young ruler, some money. And I've talked about this one before, so I won't dwell on it. But Jesus says, give some, or in the rich young ruler's case, all of it away, to be used to further God's rescue mission. And, and this is not just a fancy fundraiser for the church. It is for our own good. In Scripture, money is not a bad thing in Scripture. It's just a tool. But... If we rely on it for security, if we turn to it to make us feel safe, it becomes a false god. And pretty soon we get anxious to have more and more of it because we're leaning on that. And that's why Jesus says it is hard for rich people to get into heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Not because rich people are bad, but because the more money we have, the more we rely on that rather than God. You see, money isn't bad, it's dangerous. That's why Jesus tells this young man to give it all away. Now, Jesus didn't tell everybody to give it all away, just this young man. But before you go breathing that sigh of relief, right, I think that Jesus would tell some more, more of us than we might think to give it all away and would tell all of us to give more of it than we might be comfortable with, with giving. Which is why I am so glad that I went to seminary where they taught me that when Jesus says, give it all away, he didn't mean that literally. He meant it as a metaphor for sound financial planning, right? You buying that crap? That was recorded. Anyway. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I'm not buying it either. I think Jesus meant it because when we give, as I've said many times, we discover two things. First, we can be happy on way less than we thought we could, and that's freedom. And second, God provides for our needs. Maybe not our wants, but our needs. And that shows us that God is real. And he is looking out for us. And so the benefit we give, we get when we give is a deeper security than money can buy. Because it's grounded in God who we have seen come through again and again and again rather than in money. We get a deeper security. 
Second cost we may pay is being sensible. We love to be sensible. Problem is, all throughout the Bible, God asks people to do things that don't make sense, like sell everything you've got and give it away. Or he tells Joshua to march around the city until the walls fall down. Is that a good military strategy? Right? Or he tells Peter to get out of the boat so he can walk on water. Does that make sense? Would you have done that? I certainly wouldn't have done that. I'd have been like the other 11, staying in the boat, right? But Joshua and Peter saw miracles because they did what didn't make sense. There's a pastor named Jim Cimbala in New York, and he talks about a time when during a worship service, he got one of those thoughts that you just know is not your thought, and it told him to get up after the singer had finished doing the solo and preach. Problem was, it wasn't time in the service where he was supposed to preach. There were several other songs that the choir was supposed to do, and then there was the offering, right? But the thought was so strong, he did it anyway, totally confusing the choir director, which was a bigger risk than you might think because the choir director was his wife. So that might not have worked out, right? He got up, asked the soloist on the spot, hey, soloist, tell your faith story. Guy didn't know it was coming, but told his faith story right on the spot. Then Jim preached a brief impromptu sermon and asked if anyone wanted prayer, they should come down and get prayed for. And then they finished the, the service. Well, a few days later, he got a call from a man in Texas who said that he and his wife were visiting their son in New York and managed to convince their son on their last day there to go to church with them, even though their son hates church. But on the way to the church, he noticed, this man noticed that their flight was about to leave and that they would miss part of the service. They couldn't stay for the whole service. Otherwise, they would miss their flight back to Texas. And he was kicking himself because he was thinking, great, now my son's not going to get to hear the message, just, you know, the music part. But then early in the service, he says to, he says to Jim Simbola, early in the service, suddenly, out of nowhere, you just got up and started to preach. My son was so moved, he went down for prayer. And now he's asking all kinds of questions about Jesus, and he wants to keep coming to church. The man said, it's as if you changed your whole order of worship just for my son. Coincidence? I don't think so. Sometimes God will call us to do things that don't make sense. That's the cost. But the benefit is we see the supernatural. Things start to happen that can only be explained by the fact that Jesus is the one making them happen. You see, if we stick with the things that pencil and make sense, we'll have a life that pencils and makes sense, if that's what you want. But if we follow Jesus, our lives will go from sensible to supernatural. You see, if you want the peace that passes understanding, you got to give up your need to understand it all. Third possible cost is this, failure in the world's eyes. God may ask us to do things that are the right thing to do, but that maybe make us look like failures to other people. For instance, a man I know refused to do unethical things in his office, and as a result, he got demoted. Everyone around him thought he was a failure. That's the cost. But the benefits are two things. First, we discover that with God, failure is never fatal. I've said this before. It's directional. It puts us, points us in a new direction. In this case, the man got a different job that he liked better. And then the second thing is, we discover that God doesn't measure failure or success. He measures faithfulness, and that frees us from performance anxiety. When I first started here, I had a lot of fear of failing in this job. You know, what if the church tanks? Oh, my gosh. Right? And some of the counsel I received wasn't exactly super helpful. You know, one of my mentors said, yeah, that's a big job for you. You could fall flat on your face. And I was sort of waiting for the end of the sentence, you know, like, the, but the Lord is with you or something like that. No, we just left me flat on my, flat on my face, right? 
And at one point, one of my students said to me, you know, Scott, what if for some reason that would serve God's kingdom, for instance, in order for something else to grow, that church has to die, and that's why God called you there. <laughs> and for a minute, I thought, what if that's true? What if, what if God surveyed the entire country and said, Dudley, he's my man. If he can't kill it, nobody can. <laughs> but then the student said something helpful. He said, but if that's what it's going to take to build God's kingdom, wouldn't that be a noble calling? And then he asked this great question. He said, Scott, I know you're willing to be a success for God. Are you willing to be a failure for him? And that freed me so much. My job wasn't to succeed. My job was to be faithful. That's what God was looking at me to do. And as long as I get closer to him and feel his love, then I am freed from that performance anxiety because he's just saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Freed me from, helped ease the performance anxiety. Money, being sensible, perceived failure, those are just a few of the costs that we might pay. I could add to the list things like comfort, reputation, all kinds of things. There is a cost to following Jesus, but some huge rewards as well. And you see, that's what the rich young ruler isn't getting. All he heard was Jesus say, go, sell everything you have. But was that the end of the sentence? No, there was an independent clause attached. Sell everything you have and you will have treasure in heaven. He overlooked the independent clause. Never overlook an independent clause. C minus, right? There are costs, but also huge benefits. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in his response to Peter's question. What's in it for me? Jesus says, no one has left fields or brothers or sisters or children or fathers or mothers will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Some of you might be going, a hundred mothers, is that a good thing or I don't know. The point is this, whatever it costs us to follow Jesus, the rewards are a hundredfold as great. And I think Peter actually understands this, even in his self-serving question. I think he's saying, Lord, I know you are the God of blessing. Show me how. There's another story in the Gospel of, of John. Uh, where, where, where Jesus preaches a sermon, a very difficult sermon that nobody likes, and most of his followers just leave after that sermon. That is my nightmare, right? Preach a sermon and no one comes back the next week. So then Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And then Simon Peter answered him, and this is one of Peter's high watermarks. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And that's really it. See, the rich young ruler asks Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is, I am eternal life. You don't have to do anything. And instead, he invites this young man into a relationship. Come, follow me, Jesus says. I know a man who grew up wanting to be a baseball announcer for the San Francisco Giants. That was his dream. He wanted to be a baseball announcer, San Francisco Giants. Even as a kid, he made tapes of himself announcing imaginary baseball games. And if you don't know what tapes are, there will be elders after the service to explain that to you. But after college, through a long kind of series of events, he ended up becoming a middle school pastor at a church in Boulder, Colorado. And he was just mad about it. I mean, he wanted to be a sports announcer, right? So he kept trying to get into broadcasting. Well, finally, he got a call from a headhunter who worked for the Denver Nuggets as well as the Colorado Avalanche and said, we'd like you to audition to be our in-stadium voice. So he's like, sweet, my dream, right? He auditioned. He got the job. But then as he was driving back from the audition, he started to think. 
You know, well, this means I have to quit the church job because I can't do both. And then he thought, oh, well, I don't care. I didn't like that job anyway, right? But then suddenly he started to get images in his mind of all the kids in the group. And he started to feel sad about leaving them. And then he got one of those thoughts that was not his thought, and it said, I have you right where I want you. And he got mad. Right? He even actually started yelling at God in the car. I am not going to give up on my dream. No, 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 no. But the thought just kept popping into his head. So after several days, he called him back and he said, I can't take the job. I, God wants me with these kids. And the headhunter tried to talk him out of it. But then finally said, okay, how about this? How about if you just announced for one of the teams instead of two? That way you could keep doing your little Boy Scout thing. That's actually what he called it, right? <laughs> so my friend agreed and he did that for several years. But then a strange thing happened. He said, you know how you dream about something forever and ever and you get it and then it, it's kind of hollow and it doesn't really fulfill? That was his experience. On top of that, he was so busy, he never saw his kids, all of that. So one night, he and his wife prayed about it for a really long time and, and he was saying things like, God, I think I can really serve you as an announcer, which is true, but not for him because that voice just kept coming back. I've got you right where I want you. Stick with the kids. It took him 21 days after that to make the phone call. He said he, he'd think about going to parties, and whenever he was at a party and he said he announced for the Denver Nuggets, people would say, ooh, tell me about that, right? But when he'd say, oh, I work at a church with middle schoolers, they'd say things like, really, often, right? <laughs> so he was going back and forth with this, but then one day as he was praying, he got this picture in his head of the rich young ruler, and he saw Jesus' face filled with love and compassion, and he heard Jesus say, it's okay. You can let it go. It'll be all right. And he knew that was for him. So he quit the announcer job, and he has not regretted it since. He actually still works with youth, and he loves it. He's made great friendships with the youth, with parents. He's seen people get out of a life of drugs and promiscuity, but, but also kids who measure their self-worth by their looks or by their GPA, finding real security and freedom in Jesus, all kinds of things. And he does not regret that decision at all. Now, was there a cost? Absolutely. Financially, his sense of success, but great benefits. Now, the point here is not that you should all quit your job and become pastors, right? What a weird world that would be. And God can use you wherever you're at. The question is this, where might Jesus be asking you to do something that will cost you? Maybe it's to ask forgiveness from someone that's going to cost you some pride, but put an end to the toxic rage you feel. Maybe it's to give some time or some money away in service to God's kingdom, to bring his kingdom. Today is our Spring to Serve Sunday, where you have a chance after the service to find a way to serve inside this church to make a difference. We want to be internally strong and externally focused, and it takes hundreds, actually probably thousands of volunteers to do that. This church is built on volunteers. Now, that'll cost you something, but there's some huge rewards, Many people who serve in our church or our youth ministries love it. They find it fun. They love the relationships they get with the kids. Even something like parking lot host, which is our hardest spot to fill, even parking lot host, it, it makes a big difference, especially to newcomers who don't understand our system and they don't know where to go. And those hosts makes them feel real welcome. And you know what? Some of you have the gift of telling people where to go. Use it for good. Now, I know a lot of you already serve, but if you're not serving after the service, please take some time and just look at those tables. See if something has your name on it. Ask Jesus, you know, something here you want me to do? Whatever it is, when we follow Jesus, there are costs but big rewards. I'll end with this. When Christina and I were first dating, 
She had recently broke up with her boyfriend of seven years, seven years together. And her parents loved this guy, took him to Europe with them on their family vacations. I mean, expected, everyone expected her to marry this guy. So when she broke up with him and then started to date me pretty close together, her parents were a little suspicious about me. So one day, Christina's stepdad had to go help some friends sand and paint a boat. The reward for which was going to be a cruise the next week around San Francisco Bay, right? So to make a good impression, hey, I'm good future son-in-law material, I went with Christina's stepdad to help out. It was miserable. It was like 100 degrees that day and was hot, dusty, hard work all day long. Misery, but I did it. But then the following week when the day of the cruise came, you know, the reward for all of this, it was on a day that I couldn't go. So you know what Christina's stepdad did? He took her ex-boyfriend. <laughs> they had a great time. Right? Her stepdad came back and said, I sure do like that young man. It's just great to spend the day with him. Jeez. jeez. Here's my, I'm over it, really. I'm over it. It's all right. It's been a long time. I'm good. Don't, you don't need to come up after the service. I'll be fine. Okay, here's my point. Following Jesus is not like that. No bait and switch. Yes, there is a cost, but there are huge rewards that we get. Look at the first Christians. They were mocked, jailed, beaten, killed. Major costs, but also huge benefits. God made them brave enough, brave enough to face all of that without fear. They prayed and blind people could see and lame people could walk and the sick got healed. And the more they were persecuted, the more supernatural joy they felt and other people wanted to be Christians. How do you stop someone like that? They saw oceans divide in two. Lions become house cats at the power of God. Flames that did not destroy them. And even when the worst happened and they died, they knew that their Redeemer lived and that soon they would be with Him in a body that would never know suffering, never know death, never know pain again. These are our spiritual fathers and mothers. And when those saints go marching in, I want to be one of them. Because you see, Peter nailed it when he said to Jesus, Lord, where else are we going to go? Everything else is lame compared to you. Only you have the words of eternal life. And Jesus, that is our prayer as well. You and you alone have the words of eternal life. So Lord, by the power of your spirit, give us the ability to bear the costs and also give thanks for the rewards that come with it in following you. Help us to do this. We can't do it on our own, Jesus. In your name, amen.